Hey guys, this is Nathan, and this is episode number three of the Nathan Seawood Show. The Nathan Seawood Show. Personal conversations with powerful men. Well, welcome to the show, guys. Episode number three already. I can't believe it. I hope you're enjoying the show so far. Uh, if you have any feedback about the show, if there's a guest that you'd love to have on the show, if there's something you hate about it, if there's something you love about it, don't hesitate to reach out uh, to me on Facebook, Nathan R. Seawood. Uh, I'm easy to find, and I'm happy to have your feedback. Well, I have just got back to Tokyo in Japan. For those of you that don't know, I am based and live in Tokyo, uh, but I'm originally from New Zealand, so I've just spent the last couple of weeks in New Zealand, hanging out with friends, and as you can probably tell from my husky voice, I have been burning the candle at both ends, which I'm happy to do to catch up with my family. I had a great time down there. So a very special treat for you today, I had an amazing conversation with Mark Angelo Coppola, who is an entrepreneur, he is a change maker, he is a thought leader, he is an expert in sustainability, and this conversation is going to blow your mind. Normally I'm aiming for about 40-45 minutes uh, conversation with my interviews, but this went well on over about an hour 15, which is why the show is a little bit longer today, but you're soon going to see why. Mark is an incredibly inspiring guy. And he's an amazing speaker, to the point where I kind of got caught off guard. Mark goes on these uh, epic stories and tales about his life and what it takes to be successful and what it takes to really change the world and make change. And at times I forgot I was doing a podcast interview and I kind of was just sitting back completely enthralled in what he was saying. So sounds a little bit amateur throughout the conversation when he kind of catches me out. But uh, forgive me for that. Still learning, learning my way around it, but you'll soon see why Mark is an incredibly engaging, engaging guy. He runs and has co-founded a number of companies, the Superhero Academy, uh, where he helps social entrepreneurs to grow their businesses. And I think if you go onto the SuperheroAcademy.net, you can get up to thirteen or fourteen free courses on there right now, which uh, is amazing value from Mark. And the Valhalla Movement is his uh, movement he started around sustainability. And Mark and I have a couple of things in common. He is actually from Montreal, where my mother was born. And he was raised by uh, Italian immigrants. So he actually grew up speaking Italian as his first language. Plus, being in Quebec, he spoke French and English, which is where I started the conversation. I asked him, what was it like growing up in that multicultural melting pot in Quebec? So enjoy this conversation with Mark Coppola. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, a, a story I don't tell very often and, and I kind of tend to only tell when I get to know somebody is, um, you know, Italian was my first language. So both my parents are what I would call kind of first generation Italians, Italian Canadians, right? They, they both their parents immigrated here after the war. My father moved uh, when he was like three years old and my mom was born here. But their whole family and, and their parents and my grandparents um, spoke exclusively Italian. They, they, you know, moved to Montreal. And unlike what happened in America, though, many of the Italians and, and immigrants that landed in America, most of Americans kind of got assimilated into one language, which is English. But in Canada, it, particularly Montreal, Montreal has a French culture. And because of the French culture and this kind of constant France versus the UK that went back in history, if you, if you will, um, language was very well protected here. And so when I grew up for the first five years of my life, I only spoke Italian. And 
Uh, that caused a little bit of, of trouble and frictions in the sense that when I went to like pre-K or kindergarten or, and, and school for the first time, nobody could understand me. So all the kids were scared of me and they would actually run away from me. And I remember that like seriously, vividly, actually. Um, and it doesn't scar me. I don't, I don't think I have any PTSD from it. <laughs> Definitely not. But you know what I mean? Like it, it still marks me as being uh, something that I was different. And I guess ever since some of my earliest memories in life, I've recognized that I was different, but I think I'm different um, for a thousand and one different ways. But there's no doubt about the fact that having grown up speaking numerous languages has, uh, I I think it's given me a different perspective on the world, right? So when I've traveled to, you know, Italy or Argentina or Australia or France, I understand everyone everywhere in in such a beautiful way. And even when I was in Brazil, for example, where they speak Portuguese, I very much understood most of what was being said. And so it, it really is enlightening as an experience to have and, and, and kind of humbling. And, and, and I'm so grateful for the experience of having grown up with numerous languages um, and just being able to communicate fluently in so many of these languages. Yeah. And you said you, you still identify very strongly with being Canadian. But for those that don't know, what does it mean? Like, what are the some things you notice uh, about what it means to be Italian and what it means to be a Quebecer? <laughs> well, I think, you know, <laughs> I think I've got a crazy mix. Uh, you know, Quebecers are known for uh, being very strong-willed and stubborn. And the, the reason why is because, again, there was this constant us versus them mentality, right? Most of Canada and, and all the, you know, land masses around Quebec are, speak predominantly English. And so this kind of culture of of kind of this us versus them creates a resistance. It creates this kind of revolutionary mindset that is constantly going on here. Now, don't get me wrong, it also has some level of oppression, right? The the Canadian economy in Quebec isn't as strong because many corporations were worried to invest here, particularly when we were um, uh, having these constant conversations about separating uh, from Canada, right? And the separation kind of conversations and sovereignty. And so mix that with my Sicilian Italian blood and you get a you get a powerful mix of 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 stubbornness. I you know I don't I don't know if, how many people have harder heads than I do. Uh but at the exact same time I you know I think as much as it's gotten me in trouble, right? As much as it's been an Achilles heel and a weakness, it sometimes it's also been a great strength and I believe that for every man and woman um your biggest strengths and your biggest weaknesses tend to be the same thing. They tend to kind of, uh, you know, very much reflect one another or ditto one another in in ways that uh, are very true. So I think it it allowed me to see different perspectives. It allowed me to, to grow up in an environment where I didn't feel like I was part of one bubble, but I became part of many bubbles. Right. Like I, you, it would be very hard for somebody to just put me in one category. And I think I very much started to see different perspectives, both from the Italian side of things, both from the French side of things, both from the English side of things, from the Canadian side of things. And then, you know, now that I step away from all of this from time to time and when I travel, you know, it really I feel like it made me a world citizen, not just a Canadian citizen or Italian citizen. So, um, you know, if I had to fly a particular flag, I would I would love to fly the world flag. Um that being said, when World Cup soccer goes on, I'm rooting for Italy. <laughs> That's really cool. Um, yeah. Yeah, so 
I'm interested, uh, we, we just mentioned about Phil as well, Phil Drolet, and you're both uh, Quebecers as well. He's uh, worked with you mm-hmm. as a coach and also as a friend. So tell me a little bit more about your relationship with Phil and how that kind of started. Yeah, I mean, it started completely haphazardly in the sense that I had read uh, an article on a website that I had frequented a couple of times called highexistence.com, and, and it becomes enormously relevant later. Um, but I had read his article about being a superhuman and like having limitless potential. And he had written this on his kind of old platform, the feel good lifestyle. And, um, you know, he had written this on, on high existence though, as a guest poster. And then I kind of checked him out and I saw he was from Montreal and I was like, Oh wow, cool. Another Montrealer who gets it right. And who I can resonate with and who I can talk to with. So I kind of added him on Facebook, uh, started chatting him up and then he just so happened to be coming back to Montreal in kind of the near future from that moment. And so we ended up meeting here in, in his hometown and kind of a minutes away from my hometown. And we just had a great conversation. We hit it off immediately. And one of the, the action steps that we decided to take after that conversation was he was going to introduce me to the founder of High Existence because I was interested in writing for them too. And weirdly enough, that founder, that introduction ended up being one of the co-founders of the Valhalla movement. His name is Jordan Lejuan. Wow. He's a literally a brother at this point. Uh, he came and, and moved in with us. He, he actually, him and I made the decision to, uh, literally after our second conversation, we decided we were going to move in together. He was going to move from California to Montreal and we were going to start what at the time didn't have a name, but what is now the Valhalla movement amongst a group of others. And and so together, Jordan and I actually lived uh, in the same household for about two years. And Phil came by and like in the first weekend that Jordan was down, we all went to, you know, uh, a super awesome party together. We had to ha- actually hop the fence to get in. Uh, <laughs> it, it was this big festival called Oshiaga here in Montreal. So it's just it, it created a brotherhood immediately. Him and I, uh, you know, Phil and I and Jordan and I. And, and and Jordan and Phil as well, we're, we're you know, we're brothers, we're, we're truly a, a little mini tribe and uh, we just get along so well. And I think we're all powerful men in our own ways with our own strengths and our own fires. Yeah, and Phil, uh, he was on the podcast uh, earlier on and I think a lot of people related to him. He's an absolute powerhouse of a coach and, you know, expert on masculinity and what we were talking about before about uh, – what we have in common, you know, Phil and I, that strive for success, uh, sometimes um, causing you to uh, crash and not be fulfilled, and they just mm-hmm. constant drive. Um, is that something you relate to too, in terms of uh, your conversation and your relationship with Phil, like finding fulfillment in life, not just kind of driving for success? Absolutely. I mean, you know, the 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 sentence I use all too often, and and maybe not often enough in some ways. Is that you know I invest in the other ROI, not just the ROI of return on investment, but the ROI of ripple of impact. And so I think between you and I and 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 Phil as well, I think we're all men who invest in legacy, right? And so hmm. my worldly possessions of how much money I have in my bank account, although important when running a business and helping scale my impact, so it is a factor that I consider. But it is one of many factors that I consider, and I would say it is less important than legacy, than integrity, than uh, doing the right thing, than being honest, uh, than being proud, than being a good family man or, or you know, a good human being or steward of the planet, particularly, uh, you know, with the mindset of uh, long-term thinking or sustainability in mind. Um, so, you know, I, I very much resonate with with him in that way, and. 
Um, I very much resonate with his just direct, straight to the point kind of uh, mentality. And, and I think that's, you know, I, I think I complicate things a lot. I have huge, huge ambitions and dreams and, and they're manifesting in ways that are truly remarkable, not only by my own standards, but I, I, I guess by the size of the, the different movements and, and um, platforms that I'm a part of. Uh, it speaks to that success, I guess. But but for me, I I am obsessed with you know things that are very different than just how much money I have in my pocket. The, the, the amount of money I have in my pocket is just a measure of my ability to continue to invest in ripple of impact. Yeah, when I read about you and started doing some research about you, the, the quote that I saw, I think it was on your Facebook, was "It's not about the salary; it's all about reality and making some noise." Mm, yeah, I definitely resonate with that. That's for sure. Yeah. So I, I get a lot of, uh, I you know, watch a lot of your videos, read a lot of your articles, and I kind of, when you're talking about that stubbornness of the Quebecer and that, that uh, passion of the Italian, it really comes through in the way you present. You're really passionate and, and clearly very stubborn about, uh, in a good way, about uh, your mission. And mm-hmm. your mission is all about um, raising awareness, um, encouraging a, a consciousness change, where does that come from? Like, where does that drive and that passion to have impact and make a difference come from? Um, I think at the core of it, I'm obsessed with learning. I'm really very, very, very passionate about continuously striving. I think what has always been my, the factor that kind of separates me from others in some way, shape or form, or at least what I was told all my life is that I'm smart. Mm. And, and I never thought I was smart necessarily, right? It's, it's not that I didn't, I never looked badly upon myself, but I always, I thought, you know, I, I kind of somehow intuitively came to this idea that smart is like a muscle and I have to keep training it. I have to keep learning to continue to grow. And I just kept growing and growing and growing and, and I excelled at school and I got straight A's and I, I just had every door and opportunity open to me always. And, and, you know, being born in Canada, I literally won the lottery. I mean, a white male in Canada is like the easiest life ever. Now, it's not to say that it doesn't have challenges, but I mean, in terms of like, you know, statistics, uh, it's pretty, it's pretty great. Um, and so I, I'm so grateful for that. But what ended up happening and, and really changing and impacting my life is um, as I was graduating from university at McGill, I, I hated it. I, I really started to recognize that school was not a place I was actually learning and that I was learning way, way more through everything else that I was doing, all the other research and books and, and, and documentaries and movies and, and ebooks and audiobooks or whatever it was was just impacting me way, way, way more. And I had also been an entrepreneur for the first three years of me being in university. And so since I was 18. And so I had this kind of moment and and this, this idea that I guess Mark Twain sums up, which is don't let schooling get in the way of your education. As I was graduating, I was like, oh shit, this is it. Like I, I had been in school my entire life since I was three until I was, you know, whatever age I was when I graduated at 21 or whatever it was. And, and the idea of that ending was kind of scary to me in some way, shape or form. So as I was graduating, I, I sold my first business. Uh, it kind of came to me as a little bit of a shock. I wasn't, um, I wasn't planning on selling it, but I kind of came, I was a 50% owner. I had four other partners. My four other partners wanted 
out in the sense that they wanted to rent a new locale for this indoor skate park that we were running. And we ran right through the financial crisis. We had paid off ridiculous amounts of debt somehow. We had overhead of more than $21,000 a month. And I was 18 years old when I first started this. I have no idea how I did that. Uh, still to this day, it's probably, you know, it's just ridiculous how much how much we risk we took on. And I have no idea how we made it through. But the point being, it worked. And I was able to get a paycheck by selling this business. But literally the next day, I was on a flight to Australia. And on that flight to Australia, I was reading this book on neuro-linguistic programming on, you know, for those of you who don't know what that means, basically how you can use both physical and verbal cues to be able to create and manifest um, kind of reactions or, 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 or stimulus amongst those who are, are listening to you. And what that really effectively started to do and opened my mind to is that the power of storytelling, essentially. You know, I had studied marketing and entrepreneurship in, in university. It started in accounting and finance, and obviously I hated that. And, um, and so I graduated in that, but I didn't learn that in school. What I learned is what I didn't want to learn, right? I, I, what I learned is that, you know, four Ps and like the basics that are on textbooks and we we're talking about hypothetical situations. But on that plane ride, as I was reading this book, I kind of made this this promise to myself that for the next 52 weeks, so for the next year at that time, this is the end of 2010 to give you context, um, I was going to watch a documentary a week. So literally every single week, I was going to watch a new documentary because I felt these documentaries were changing my life. And so I watched everything I could possibly think of, everything from like, um, you know, uh, climate change to fracking to the vanishing of the bees to where money comes from. And when I recognized the fallacy that I was living, the the horror of what was going on on the planet um, in so many different ways, it it really stuck with me. But there's two things that stuck with me. One was this happened in this one moment uh, where as I was thinking about what, sh what was the next documentary I should watch, what topic maybe I wanted to educate myself on, I opened up Google and I had basically literally, you know, when you open up Google, we forget, we, re we forget to realize that you are plugging in to the matrix of all the world's information or most of the world's information at least, right? You're plugging into millions and millions of books, millions and millions of everything that you has, has possibly been documented and put onto the internet in any one moment, and I had no idea what to type in. And so you can imagine what that's like, right? Like you open up Google, you have no idea what to type in, you wanna research something, but you have no topic in mind, nothing's coming up. And so I, I type in, if everyone lived like the and I was going to write the average Canadian, but then this chart popped up and it showed that if everyone lived like the average American, we would need 4.1 planets just to survive. Wow. And I was just like, oh, shit, that's not good. That is really, really, really going to. That's just not good, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and I, so I had this moment and then I was like, OK, well, what about the average Canadian? We must be better than that. And. Turns out the average Canadian, if everyone lived like the average Canadian, we'd need five planets. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, no. <laughs> and so I realized at that moment how fortunate I was. You know, we, 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 we hear like a few years later, we see all this, this talk about the 1%, right? The 99%, 1% and all the stuff that went down in Occupy and all these things. I was the 1%. <laughs> 
I am the 1%. You know, being the 1% in the world is is if you're able to earn over like, what is it, like $70,000 or $75,000? If you are earning over $75,000 a year, you are in the 1% of the planet. So that's me at this moment. And that's remarkable to me because I'm, I totally believe in so many things that are totally different than what that 99, 1% thing was, was complaining about. Right. And yet I was the first person being like 99%. Yeah. I I was with them. Yeah. But I was not living that life that was in accordance to that. Right. I was living a life that was way more wasteful than I had ever imagined. I was living a life that was that was truly damaging the planet. And my lifestyle was only a product of other people being poor. But that wasn't my fault. It was the fault of where money came from. It was the fault of all these people who came before me. And what I was doing at that moment is I was pointing the finger. I was like, it's their fault. It's the banker's fault. And I went in down this conspiracy theory rabbit hole. And not to say that these conspiracy theories aren't true. I think many of them have tons of valid points. And some of them are totally far-fetched. But what I started to recognize that every time I point a finger, and if you point your finger right now, the audience who's listening, there are three pointing back at you. See, what happened in all these documentaries and everything I was watching is that 95% of the time, the documentary would talk about the problem. So no... No wonder I was depressed after a year of watching documentaries. Everything was focused on the issues. And so there's very few people talking about solutions. Let me give you an example with climate change. With climate change, for every one article that talks about the solution to climate change, there are 80 articles, eight zero articles talking about the problem. So we were living in a media, in a, in a culture driven by fear. And we still are living in that culture, right? Like people aren't voting for one candidate versus another candidate in politics just because they like one candidate. They're often voting against another candidate. We're often governed by fear in so many decisions we make in life, whether it be in our our choices in democracy or whether it be in our choices of food that we're going to eat, whether it be our choices of of what we're going to do in every single thing that we do. We are governed by fear and it's because we're hardwired that way, right? We have to avoid bad to stay alive. That's the animal instinct inside of us. But we've far surpassed the animal inside of us at this point, right? And this point, and not to some degree not, right? To some degree, we should connect more to it. But, but in, in, in that case, like we are well beyond the lowest tier of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? We, we, we have to start investing in the solutions. And so my, my passion, I think, comes from the fact that I, was, I love to learn. I learned information that I could never unlearn. And then instead of fucking whining and pointing the finger, and I apologize for swearing, I decided that I had to be the solution. That if everyone lived like me, we would need one planet, hopefully. But I didn't know what that required. I knew nothing about planting trees. I knew nothing about eco-construction. I knew nothing about permaculture. I knew nothing about you know, being a social entrepreneur. I knew nothing about nothing. But I, I, I decided to take that future, take that mission into my own hands. And I think everything else that I've created and been a part of since uh, is a reflection of that. Wow, that's yeah, beautifully put. Thank you. And it's, I know a lot of people I talk to, you know, when you're talking about the environment or saving the planet or understanding, uh, you know, the 1%, it becomes very overwhelming. 
and yeah. living in that fear becomes very overwhelming and it just doesn't feel fun to live in that place it's much easier just to go back to not thinking about it so how did you make that transition into okay it's up to me to make a difference how did you make that transition into making it palatable for yourself making a difference and how do you share that message with other people so that they can kind of take on the things you're passionate about that'll make a difference uh, without yeah. feeling wrapped in guilt and fear yeah i think i think most people expect that that t- transition is graceful <laughs> i think most people think it's like yeah i'm gonna wake up one day and i'm just gonna like feel motivated to do it and to change and and I don't think it's graceful at all. I, I think the hardest job on the planet is being an entrepreneur. I think the hardest job on the planet is transitioning from that fear-based mentality into an abundance-based mentality. And from scarcity to abundance is a constant shift, and it's a constant reminder. And I don't – I wouldn't say I'm perfected it at all today, but I'm significantly faster at catching myself. I'm significantly spending way more time in an abundance mindset than I was in a fear mindset compared to, you know, in 2010, let's say, uh, or 2011. So, but the truth is how I, how I did it is I was like, okay, what's one thing I could do that's going to contribute to the solution right here and right now. And the most creative thing I can come up with which is, I think, our first instinct when you th- when you think about the world sustainable the word sustainability was let me plant a tree, mm-hmm. and so I went out into the middle of a GMO cornfield, sixty six acre piece of land uh, that I knew was for sale, uh, but it, I did not own, and I planted a tree, and I basically declared at that moment that I was going to build the school I wish I could have gone to, and so. <laughs> What what precluded that? What what kind of you know continued to make that happen though is is I just went out there and I did two things that changed my life that day. Number one, I decided to take action, right? I decided to do something, get off my ass, stop complaining, stop blaming, blame myself, and do something. And so many people are just waiting. You're just waiting for somebody else to drop their dreams into your lap, and that's just not going to happen. It's just not you're, you you will you, even if it did you would be too blind to see it because you aren't in the action mindset. And if you're not in an action mindset you're not going to see the opportunity, you're going to think it's too good to be true or you're just going to you're just going to walk right by it. Right? Have you ever have you ever heard like have you ever learned a new word and then later that day you hear that new word and you're like what are the chances? Well, the truth is the chances are pretty high. You probably were hearing it for a long time, you just didn't know what it meant yet. And so you didn't really hear it. You heard it without hearing it, right? And so it's funny how we can look for things sometimes and they're right in front of us and yet we, we forget. Like how many times have you looked for your phone and you were holding it <laughs> or it was in your pocket or something? You know what I mean? Like how many times have you, have you lost something you couldn't see that was right in front of you? Well, I think the similar, similarly, the solutions are immediately in front of us. And I'm not trying to tell you what those solutions are. I'm not trying to paint that there's one way that you have to live or another way. I'm not trying to say everyone has to go vegan tomorrow or whatever it is. It's not at all what I'm saying. And in fact, I'm, you know, I, I balance on some of those things myself, right? And I weigh the consequences of all my decisions in that way. But the fact that I am aware of my decisions in the first place is the first step, right? Awareness is the first step, then comes to action. And beyond action, I think the number one thing that I was able to do is that I didn't just plant the tree, right? I actually pulled out my phone at that moment and I, and I told a story about it. I took a picture right, and I posted it on Facebook and Instagram. And in that moment of p- posting a picture, what I basically said to the world without saying it is, I'm done with this shit. 
I'm done with not doing something. I'm done with pretending like this is okay. I'm done with pretending like I'm not depressed and I'm not, I'm not, you know, I am satisfied with everything and that I'm just okay with going out there and earning a, you know, a living, doing a nine to five that I cannot stand. And it's not to say that that's wrong or right. For some people, I think it's totally perfect to have a nine to five. For some people, it's, they're better suited being more of a, of a, of a follower when it comes to their career, but a leader when it comes to maybe their artistry or, or as a mom or, you know, or something else. Right. So not everyone's suited to lead everything. I'm, I'm not the person who should pick the music or be the DJ at a party. Okay. But I am, you know, definitely one of the people who should be a leader when it comes to, let's say entrepreneurship, because that's what I'm passionate about. That's what I'm good at. I'm definitely a leader when it comes to storytelling. And so I told that story and that's what created that shift is that immediately it resonated with other people who felt the exact same way. And what is entrepreneurship other than solving a problem, right? You see a problem and then you create a solution and that's a business in some way, shape or form, whether it be a product or a service that's, that, that, you know, deals with that pain point and turns it into a pleasure. Well, the pain point that I had was, or that I fell upon was that people lacked purpose. People felt this lack of purpose and they felt this this sense of being too small to affect anything. And every person on the planet has that problem at some point. And so by every person having that problem, then I had to make a message that spoke to those people. And, uh, you know, I won't get into the specifics and bore you guys with specifics of storytelling, but there's a reason why, you know, there's, there's a reason then there's a predictable story arch to every good story, right? We all know how a James Bond movie or a Disney movie ends. But that's not why we watch it. So, um, you know, I think there's 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 a, a very big art to storytelling. And I was fortunate enough to learn it not only on my my trip to Australia, but in my, my studying of marketing. And then also when I went to uh, China immediately after Australia and then all the verbal storytelling went out the window and I had to speak only in symbols and colors. And I can only understand what was written on a sign based on symbols and colors. Then I started to recognize nonverbal storytelling. And so I think my my PhD or master's degree in storytelling didn't just didn't come from school. It didn't come from me reading some book, but it came from a multitude of paying attention. It came from my awareness of understanding how things and colors and words affect people, including, you know, you guys don't see me right now, but I'm moving my hands. I'm animated. And it's partially because of Italian. It's it's mostly also because I understand that that's powerful and that it evokes energy and that energy is felt through this microphone. Yeah, and that, I've, I've read a couple of times you've said like, no matter whether you're a coach or someone trying to make an impact or a mother or an entrepreneur, at, at your core, you're a storyteller. There's a, a story that you're trying to tell. Absolutely. And for what one reason or another, people are listening. Yeah. And so tell me a little bit more about the art of storytelling and how it differs maybe from marketing a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I think marketing from on the surface level is trying to convince people to take an action. I think that's what the, the goal of marketing is to take somebody from one state of mind to a state of mind where they buy or take some form of action. In storytelling, there's not always that action. I think it's sometimes also just the, re the realization, right? So in, when I'm telling you a story, I, I'm not trying to sell you anything by you listening to this podcast. 
What I'm trying to tell you is that your words, your actions, your physicality, your, the colors you use, everything that you associate to yourself matters. And you know that. You know it, right? Like when you meet somebody at a bar or, you, or you, you're out somewhere, you feel a vibe. There's something that you feel non-verbally. And so there's, there's signals constantly being flooded into our minds about other people or other things or other locations. And so I'm using the art of, of language and storytelling, let's say, to communicate something to you that makes you aware of something. So I think the difference between storytelling, storytelling could end in a sale to some degree, right? It could end in a business, but it doesn't start there. It doesn't start with the only the intention of like, hey, let me sell you something. Right. It's not like this blatant Facebook ad. There's a difference between a blog that has a mention of where you can get some some resource and a Facebook ad. So Facebook ads are flat out marketing, blog writing, storytelling, movie making. uh, Some of them, you know, my my many passions, particularly movies um, and video is is a form of storytelling that makes you aware, that makes you uh, consider an, another perspective or another point of view that you wouldn't have had access to or you might not have considered had you not seen it or heard it. Mm. I want to touch on something you've mentioned a couple of times and that's uh, about purpose uh, and finding your purpose and having a purpose and then telling the story around your purpose. Something I've struggled with a lot and I think your purpose evolves and develops over time as you kind of mm-hmm. try things and um, refine it. If I came to you and said, like, I'm not really sure what my purpose is, um, which is, I think, a lot of the work you do in the Superhero Academy, right? Like trying to find out mm-hmm. how you can be a superhero of your own life. Yep. How would you guide someone into finding their purpose or becoming more clear about what their purpose is? I, I think people are stuck on the idea that it's one thing. Right. Like people are so stuck. At, at, they're so scared. To, and again, this is the fear mentality of our society. They're scared to make the wrong decision. They're, they're scared to pick. They're, they're like, oh, I'm not sure if this is the idea that I need to do to be everything. And like if I look at like Elon Musk, I don't think Elon Musk's purpose was to create PayPal. Hmm. I think his purpose was to inspire others to believe that anything is possible and to change the status quo and to not accept any one archaic system as the only option right so paypal was this alternative to the banking system and you know tesla is the alternative to the gas-powered car and now you know solar city is the alternative to coal and nuclear let's say and so every and spacex is the alternative to like our planet (laughs) right and so everything he's done has been his purpose is to shed light on the alternative but that's not in one idea that he did that. It's in everything that he does. And so I don't think you need to get stuck on one idea, one business, one m- moment of your life. Don't get stuck on the idea. Get, get moving on an idea. Right? So I, one of the things that I, I asked people to do, and it really changed my life when I was in China, I had this moment while traveling on the Great Wall of China. I, I, I'd, I checked off a bucket list item, essentially. Right? Traveling and... and Visiting and walking on and seeing the Great Wall of China had been this thing I had written down in a journal when I was like, I don't know, like 10 years old or something like that, right? Mm. And I'd written it down and I achieved it. And so I was like, well, what else do I want to achieve? And so I ended up creating this list that I now refer to as my impossible list because it was a list not only of a, you know, it wasn't just a bucket list item of all these things that I kind of want to do. 
it was a list of challenges that I was going to do and that I am actively doing and that I actually have knocked off and, and done many things. And it, and it, it has multiple facets because I have multiple expressions. I am not just an entrepreneur. I am not just a man. I am, you know, a son. I am an adventurer. I am a storyteller. I am a marketer. I'm a photographer. I'm a videographer. I'm a website builder. I'm whatever you want me to be in some way, shape, or form. And so what I'm really, really good at, what I recognize is my superpower, and that's why I love the idea of superpowers versus purpose, because I think we have this word that people have over-glorified and, and made this complicated thing. What are you? What superpowers do you have? What makes you light up? What does everyone notice about you? If money were no object, what would you do with your time? What is on your impossible list? And so instead of asking people that question and having them juggle those ideas and those balls in their mind, I tell them to write it down and systematically go after it and actually make them happen. One after the other. Pick one, make it happen. Move to the next one. Pick one, make it happen. Now I run five organizations. I have five companies that I'm part of and founder of in some way, shape, or form. A co-founder in some cases, of course, right? Five companies. How is that possible? How is it possible that I can run five companies and the average person is struggling to get one idea off the ground? Well, the difference is because I, I don't ask myself and I don't see everything to the end. I don't pretend like I'm going to know the future and I'm some Nostradamus here. <laughs> I don't know, but I'm willing enough to try because what else is my life other than trying? What else is my life other than taking action and being bold and trying stuff? I mean, the worst thing that happens is I'm, I'm totally okay. And maybe that's because I'm part of the 1%. Maybe that's, that's what people are saying right now. Oh, well, you're a privileged white guy in Canada. Sure. Well, number one, chances are you are too. Chances are you're quite privileged too. You might not be as privileged. You might not be as lucky. But guess what? My family was dirt poor when they moved to Canada. Dirt poor, like $5 in their pocket poor, living in 13 people in, in three-bedroom apartment poor. So, you know, those are the accomplishments of my grandparents and my parents. And my own accomplishment comes from not because I had money. Everything I've created, Valhalla Movement, I created with zero dollars and zero cents. I went into a piece of land I did not own and I made it happen. You don't need to own things to make things happen. You have just as much power right now if you're listening to this podcast because it means you have the internet. You have just as much access to information as anybody else who has the internet. So I'm not trying to say that I'm, you know, in any way in the same ballpark as the 50% of the planet who lives off less than $2 a day. But I guarantee you that the person who's listening to this podcast right now, you listener who, who is listening to this, you have just as much opportunity as I do. Now, again, there, everyone has their trials. There's, there's a right time to do things, right? If I wanted to start a fire with a magnifying glass, I wouldn't do it in the middle of the night, right? There is, an, there is a season for everything. There is, a, there is an opportune time to jump off the cliff. I'm not trying to tell you to quit your job tomorrow with zero game plan, but I think the first step to that game plan is writing an impossible list, right? Because at the end of the day, all I have is my consciousness, and my consciousness and my focus and my, and my attention, right, is my most important asset. We talk about time, but we talk about what we do with our time is our attention. And I see our attention as like, as like a magnifying glass. We can only focus on one thing at any one moment. So if you want to start a thousand fires, so let's say you write an impossible list out and you have a, you have a thousand things that you write on your impossible list or you have a hundred or you have four. 
Well, if you want to start four fires or 100 fires or 1,000 fires, the fastest way to do that with your time and attention, which you have equal amount of time as I do, 24 hours in a day, seven days a week, right? 365 or 366 days a year. You have the same amount of time, but I choose to focus, make one fire come to life in the right conditions so I don't try and start fires at night or when it's raining. I put a pile of logs together or, you know, put a couple of pieces of the puzzle together for whatever your dreams are, a.k.a. do the research, put in the time, you know, combine a couple of different opinions, talk to people. How many people go to school to become something and they've never actually even considered talking to a person who actually has that job? You know, how many people graduate as lawyers and are like, man, I never thought about like going to talk to a lawyer and actually walking into a law firm and seeing what their life is like. I never thought it would be this unfulfilling. Well, you're an idiot. You're being an idiot because you're not taking the four seconds it would take for you to contact a lawyer and actually go and see them for 24 hours. I think we're just so used to following. We're so used to not doing that. Now, the fastest way to start a thousand fires is to start one and, and carry a torch from that one to the next. Right? From one flame, a million candles can be lit. And so if that's the case, then pick an idea. Forget about it being the idea because once you have one fire, you can start the next one and just focus on it. Stop bouncing around. Stop making excuses. Stop pointing the finger. Stop pointing saying, oh, you have white privilege or this, that, and the other. Okay. But that's not serving you. Yes, I'm privileged. I acknowledge it. And I'm not angry about it. I'm trying to get you motivated. Right? I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm totally privileged. I'm, I'm, and I'm super grateful for it. I'm spending my entire life giving it a back. I'm spending my entire life trying to light your fires. And the fastest way that I can light your fire is not for me carrying a torch and just handing it to you. You know, the fastest way for me to empower you is not to just hand you a fish. It's to teach you how to fish. It's to teach you how to start a fire. And how to start a fire is you get clear and you get committed. And clarity comes by writing it down and commitment comes by sticking to it no matter what. You stick to it. You don't move the magnifying glass every 10 seconds because or else you're never going to start anything. To get smoke and to get a flame, you have to stay put. So everyone wants everything now. Everyone wants the newest iPhone, the newest everything immediately. We're such spoiled, rotten pieces of shit. And I'm one of them. I'm totally one of them. And I'm still one of them in some ways. But heck, if I haven't learned anything as being an entrepreneur, it's to be patient. You're not going to be a multi-billionaire day one. You're not going to walk out and like build Facebook haphazardly. And even the people who build Facebook, even Elon Musk, even Vir- – uh, what's his name? Uh, Virgin, what's his name? Richard Branson, yeah. <laughs> Richard Branson. Even Richard Branson. You think he just built it in one day? No, he went bankrupt. Like He almost went bankrupt numerous times on his journey. Donald Trump is running for president. Who knows whether he won by the time we, you know, we, we filmed this or whatever. Point being, he's went bankrupt numerous times. You're going to fail. You're going to lose a fire or two. You're going to make mistakes. That's the point, though. Stop trying to be perfect. Stop trying to chase the idea and chase an idea. Make it happen. In fact, don't chase it at all. Just stay put and keep, keep the flame on. Keep the, you're magnifying your attention on one thing. And that lucky thing, you know what that lucky thing was for me? Storytelling. Guess what? No matter what business or idea I ever have, storytelling helps me. Yeah. Right? So it's a, an eternal flame. And that flame is so powerful that it gravitates toward to me. And everyone sees it. 
Everyone chases not just my light, but anybody who has a light, right? Anybody who's inspiring. We, we, for some reason, we shine. They, they shine in our minds, right? We call them stars for a reason when they're celebrities, right? They're stars because they shine bright, because they, they are a flame in which many of us can be inspired from and, and pull a torch from and, and carry it to our own fires. So write your ideas down. Make your impossible list. Do something of that nature and then don't just make it a list that you might one day do and throw away. Make it a list that you do every day, one step at a time. You know, right, right next to me, right behind me is an hourglass. Every single day, I turn the hourglass and I do a power hour. And I do one hour of focused effort towards m my biggest task of the day, the biggest dream at that moment. And sometimes it changes. My dreams, I have numerous companies, I have numerous ideas, but they're all aflame at this point. And they're all aflame because it's so much easier to maintain a flame and a fire but than it is to start a new one all the time. So start one, carry your torch. I think that's that's the best advice I can give. Well, <laughs> so inspiring. You lit a fire under me. I mean, your ability to, to tell a story is so motivating and so inspiring just listening to you. Um, and I know there's a lot of high achievers, a lot of people that are doing well in traditional careers that listen to this, that... You know, I think you, you, you are trying to find that purpose that's like, my purpose is this. But I love mm -hmm. the idea of just like, what's that thing inside of you? What's that, even just that little whisper inside of you that's telling you uh, to go in a certain direction, to try a certain thing that excites you? Write that down and then take action towards it and just see what happens. Plant that tree. Travel to China. Just do it. Just do it and just yeah. see what happens. Well, look, Gandhi, Obama, MLK, Rosa Parks, all the, the Oprah. These are all regular people. They were all regular people. And one day they were just somehow they became more and more and more irregular. They became more and more and more of a celebrity. And, a, and they started to shine and we started to notice them. You know, so many of us say that we want to be outstanding, but then we don't dare to stand out. Right? If you want to be outstanding, stand out. And recognize that the number one way that's going to get you there is by dropping your ego and recognizing you need a coach, you need people to help you and guide you and learn from. Because you're going to only accelerate your path if you can pull a torch from somebody else's fire to start your own. You don't need to reinvent the wheel here. You don't need to reinvent new ways of starting fires. You can, but I said, you know, innovation is expensive and it's costly and it's very time consuming. Okay? Your first fire, don't try to innovate everything. Innovate something, sure. Bring your own flair and your own flame and your own ideas to it, of course. But learn from others. There's a reason why the biggest coaches, the, 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 the top athletes in the world, whether it be like the Michael Phelps of the world, have coaches. There's a reason they have coaches. Because, you know, how many people on the planet want six, a six-pack, right? Six-pack abs. Fucking everyone. But how many people really have them? Most people don't, right? I don't know. Percentage, like maybe 20%, maybe? Yeah, I read in New Zealand, out of 4 million people, 22,000 people have six packs. Wow. So, holy shit. So, 4 million people, 22,000. I don't know what the math is behind that, but I'm so happy you told me that because now I'm totally going to reference that in the future. But the point being, this is super small percentage. But how many per what percentage of people do you think know what it takes to get a six pack? A hundred percent. Mm-hmm. 100% of people. You know why? Because we all know that if we did more sit-ups and we ate healthier and we did it over time and we did it every day, we would have a six-pack. I'm not trying to say that there's not more effective ways of getting a six-pack. I'm not trying to say that you can't get there sooner if you had a coach. But I guarantee you that it's not about knowledge. 
people think that it's all about knowledge. No. True wisdom comes from where knowledge meets action. Okay? You can know everything. I watched 52 documentaries in a year. I knew a lot, but I had knew, I knew nothing at all at the same time because I had never put any of it into action. I never gotten on the front lines of any issue. I never done or put time and effort into learning anything. And now that I have, people call me about it all the time. They're, I'm like a world expert in sustainability somehow. <laughs> I only started this movement four years ago, and tomorrow I'm flying to Austin, Texas to go talk about sustainability in a panel full of people who I would never dream of sitting next to. Somehow I'm an expert on it. Four years. Four years. What happened? Like, what did I do differently than you? You have just as much time as I do. Well, what I did is I learned from a shit ton of people who had done this before me. You know, I, I, the first ever, one of the first ever interviews I ever conducted was David Suzuki's, like a famous Canadian sustainability guy, right? Like some of the, I just learned from people. I just watched documentary and, they, and then, you know, I heard about Urshifs, which is this kind of buildings built out of recycled materials, bottles, uh, bottles, tires, cans, woods, things like that. And then we built one. I didn't just learn about it. I did it. And I'm not the only one who did it. I surrounded myself with people who are smarter than me. Right? I, I started an architecture design firm called Wisdom, in fact. Right? And and I don't know anything about architecture, but I feel like I got a PhD in it in the last two years that I've been learning it because I hired and partnered with people who were smarter than me and who did what I do, what I wanted to do. And so that changes everything. To find mentors, to find people to enable your path and to drop your ego and pretending like you have to know all the answers you don't and you never will. And even if you're Einstein or whether you're, you're, you, you know, you're the smartest person with the highest whatever IQ score on the planet, you still know that you know nothing at all. Right. So you got to find people who are doing what you love and ask them questions and go out there. So if you're in school and you're you're you're, you're vying for a job and you want to be a lawyer, go and talk to a lawyer. Stop waiting for school to teach you everything. A lawyer will be able to teach you way more, way faster for way cheaper, by the way. As much as lawyers are expensive, I guarantee you would speak to a lawyer for 10 hours and it'll be cheaper than your your full years of education. It'll probably get you further. Now, it doesn't mean you don't need that piece of paper. I'm not hating on anybody who has any job. I, my father's a lawyer, right? So I totally get it, and I, I totally respect it. And in fact, I would consider myself almost a lawyer without the paper, right? Because I was raised by one. I had to defend everything I did all the time. And so the, at the end of the day, you, you know, my passion comes from my, my true willingness to learn, my humbled reality that I just cannot know everything on my own and I don't have enough time to learn everything on my own so that I would turn to experts and watch those things. So instead of watching, you know, the next time you turn on Netflix, I don't care that you turn on Netflix. I turn on Netflix too, but I don't always just watch something that's pleasurable or funny here and there. I educate myself. I, I learn about the things that I'm passionate about. And that's how I discovered ideas that I had no idea I was passionate about. I never planted anything in my life when I started a, a sustainability movement. I declared that I was going to build a school that I wish I could have gone to. You think I've built a school before in my life? I'm 28 years old. I've never built anything, but I've I constantly said yes to jobs or opportunities that I had no idea how to make happen. Even now, I'm talking about building buildings. I do you think I've ever built anything in my life? But somehow I've ever I make these things happen. I have now. 
I have that experience. I've found my, I, I, I learned the terminology. I learned the stories and the verbs and the, and the words that people use. Right. And then by learning those things, I learned what they meant. And then I learned how they apply. And I learned how all these things, and you learn them like theories, just like you learned the Pythagorean theorem probably. And, in you know, high school math or something like that. Right. Well, you learn them. And then as you apply them, you actually know them for real. Because how many ta- how many people could tell me what the Pythagorean theorem is right now? I can't even tell you probably. You know what I mean? I, if I thought about hard enough, maybe I could or probably can actually. But, but the point being, you know what I mean. You have to think about it because I don't apply it every day. But there are certain things that I can tell you off the top of my head because I speak about them constantly. I love what you said uh, to be – outstanding standout it's a great quote Mm. and in new zealand and australia we have a real problem with standing out i don't know if you experience it when you're in australia but they call it the tall poppy syndrome down here that Mm. when the one tall poppy stands out we like to cut it down we like to keep everyone even we don't like people that try and stand out Mm. regardless of that everybody that's made a difference in these countries is someone that has stood out and, and put themselves out there at some point absolutely how do you and i think there's a version of that in every country uh we just have a yep. cool name for it <laughs> so yep. um how do you speak to someone how would you speak to someone that is scared to stand out that has this power has this passion has this mission but it's just in a culture that doesn't reward people standing out well what are you more scared of <laughs> you know for me i'm more scared of living a life of, of like I've constantly told like, well, that's not normal. And I'm like, who, who the hell is striving to be normal? I'm not tra- striving to be normal. I don't, I'm, I'm not happy with normal. I'm happy with extraordinary. I'm excited about standing out. And, and that excitement for me is I, maybe a natural thing. Uh, maybe it's just something I was, I was good at because I'm loud and I'm Italian. And so I stand out naturally. Maybe it came from the fact that I only spoke Italian when I went to school that everyone spoke French and English. So I stood out immediately there. So maybe it's embedded in me. Maybe. But I think it's a, it's a learned response. Being shy or timid or not not standing out is, is a response and everyone can change it. And at the end of the day, it just requires you to face your fear. You know, I used to be super afraid of spiders. And then one day, just because I was at a pool party and there were a whole bunch of girls there and I was young, I was like 13 years old or something. There was a spider and all these girls were freaking out. So I went right up to it. And I, I, even though I was just as afraid, I, to impress them, I squashed it right with my hand. And that day, I stood out not only to them, because I was so brave and like brash and I immediately did it, but then I stood out to myself. And I was like, oh, that fear. I could just squash it just like the spider. And when you, when you realize that you are the only determinant of your outcome, yes, you are part of a world in which so many things are happening. And, you know, you have two choices within that world. You can react to everything that is going around you. You can point fingers. You can react. You can be, I can't believe, I can't believe I got a ticket. I can't believe the cop pulled me over. Guess what? It's the cop's job to pull you over. It's your fault that you got caught, right? We can be pissed about it all day and don't – trust me. I've been pissed about it in the past, okay? But now I'm not. Now I play the game. I'm like, ah, damn, you got me. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I'm almost happy about it. It's a game for me. I've, I've just – I don't see the fear in it anymore because I, – I really don't. I really don't resonate with fear anymore because every time I notice I have a fear, the first thing I do is I hit it head on. 
not sideways, not test the waters, jump. Like if I'm afraid of heights, go skydiving. Like as much as you're going to be deathly afraid, I'm sorry, but there's no other way. There's just no other way. You have to deal with the the fear of heights by doing something of that nature, by standing on the edge of a cliff and looking down. Even if it means that you... Like, even if it means you lie down on the edge of the cliff and you just peek your head over, so you're totally freaking safe. Like, unless the cliff is about to fall off, which I highly doubt, right? After millions of years of geology, and now all of a sudden it's going to fall? I don't think so. Okay. So you can look over the edge of the building, let's say, or something, whatever. You're totally safe. You're holding on. You could be strapped onto something, literally. You can tie something with a rope, okay? You could be 100% safe. Stare down that cliff for like an hour. And start melting away the fear that's coming up in your mind. Face it. Stop running. Stop doing the convenient thing. Because the convenient thing is what's screwing up our whole planet in the first place. It's why we're facing climate change. It's why we're facing all these things. It's, it's the tragedy of the commons, right? What's good for me is you know, bad for detrimental to the whole. That's what the tragedy of the commons is. What's good for me is that I have everything. I, you know, I drive a big, beautiful house, a white picket fence. I drive a Hummer. Yeah, maybe it would be fun, right? Maybe. But that's bad for the planet. Now, to live in balance with the planet doesn't mean you have to sacrifice any of those things. You just have to do them differently. You know the easiest way to have a big house is, but still be it sustainable? Make it off-grid. If you can make your house off-grid, it's like 100 times more sustainable than it is currently, probably. I'm not saying it's 100% sustainable. If everyone lived like you, you might still need two planets at that point, right? But it's definitely moving the needle from five to two, let's say, right? At least in your own reality. And, and at the end of the day, you just got to face your fears. You just got to do it head on. There's no other way. There's no shortcut. There's no magic pill. There's no amount of blogs or podcasts that you can listen to that's going to get you over your fear. So you can sit here and listen to this and be like, no, yeah, that's another podcast. I'm just going to go home and continue on my routine and do the things I'm going to do. Or you can change. You can take that thing that's nagging you and you know what it is. It's inside of you. You feel it, right? You know exactly what it is. You know exactly where it is. You know exactly what you're passionate about. You know exactly elements of what your purpose is. And I'm so sick and tired of you pretending like you don't. I'm sick and tired of you taking people's advice, even including my own, and just go and do it. If Nike's done anything right, it's that they had the motto of just do it. Literally just do it do it stop asking questions stop pretending like you think you know the answer or the outcome you won't and you'll never know because that's what life is if i knew the outcome of everything if i knew that every decision i was going to make was going to be perfect then it would be not worth living if i lived forever then then i wouldn't you know it wouldn't be worth anything if it was always sunny we wouldn't appreciate it so recognize that contrast good and bad fear you know what i mean like fear and, and pleasure those are those are where the beauty is. That's that's beautiful to be feared. Like you know what my thought was when I went skydiving. I was like, damn, it's, I'm not scared. It wasn't scary enough. <laughs> I was like, okay, now I need to go bungee jumping. Significantly more scary because you see the ground like approach very quickly. So you know I push my limits. And it's not to say I didn't have those fears. I did. I was. T- who the hell is not scared of? I'm an animal again. Take a monkey up into a plane and see how they react. You know what I mean? They're freaking out. Because they've never experienced it before, but by experiencing it, you can overcome it. It's the only way. There's no amount of books or pictures that I can look at that will make me feel better about being up in a plane. So at some point, you face it, and then you 
normalize it. And by normalizing it, you, you become less fearful of it. You know, there's a reason why pigeons aren't afraid of humans anymore. It's because they're constantly around them. But yet, if I'm trying to approach another bird, it's flying away. Well, it's because that other bird constantly flies away. So what's the difference between a pigeon and the other bird? Well, is the pigeon significantly smarter than the other bird? I highly doubt it. It's just it's just normalized it. It's just normalized the culture over time and generations and, 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 and sometimes their own lifetime, too, that they're, hey, I'm okay with humans. So I can walk right next to them on the sidewalk. So how do you deal with it in your own evolution? You, you've, you know, you're amazing, inspiring guy running, I think you said five businesses. And you've obviously had to just keep confronting fear after fear and you just keep pushing up against it. What are some of the unspoken parts of that? Some of the down days, some of the harder times that maybe aren't coming through, like when we see you, this polished, finished, passionate product. <laughs> yeah i you know it's funny because every you know that's exactly what you see and that's exactly what i put out i guess right um it, it, look it's hard every day all the time you know there's mornings and i totally don't want to wake up there's times where i'm like it would be so much easier if i died and i'm kind of curious about what it would be like anyway <laughs> right there's like they, i have those thoughts and it's, it's totally normal for me it's not like i don't think i, I have any different of thoughts than you do i just don't let them fester there for a long time if you're the type of person who's fearful and if you're not and if you're the you know the person who's listening to this and you're like yeah i don't feel it either okay cool then yeah then hopefully you're on the path of doing exactly what you want all the time right but if you're not you're just wasting your time i i don't there's you you when you die i have no idea what happens but you're definitely not going anywhere ahead of it um, you, you know what I mean? Like you're not, you're not, you're not going to like, you don't know what happens when you die. You have no idea what's going to, to manifest itself beyond this current lifetime. So you might as well live it to the fullest. You might as well do everything that scares you. You might as well do everything that pleasures you. You might as well try all these different things and go out there and do it. And when you don't feel like doing it, when you don't feel like, like when you like, you know, the guy who wants to the six pack and says, Hey, I committed to the six pack, but today I don't feel like doing it. Well, look every day I don't feel like doing it, but I push through it. I do it anyway. I stick to the plan. I stick to the schedule because I, 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 I hone back into my why, right? I get, I get reconnected to why I'm doing it. So anything I put my mind to, I can do. It's just a question of time and patience and dedication daily. Not every once in a while, right? You were telling me like, hey, say, you know, I have this job right now. I'm working two weeks on and two weeks off. But then you, you're, the next thing you said was, but I also realized that entrepreneurship, there's no off. Hmm. Yeah, there is none. You do it every day. I don't care if you have five minutes or five hours. You do it every day. So it sounds like you've almost, when it comes to fear or it comes to lack of motivation or just waking up, you know, depressed or whatever it is, you've almost made friends with that feeling. It's not like it's going to go anywhere. It's not, it's always going to be there. Oh, you yeah. Know? But you kind of made it's friends there. with it and you're like, yeah, that's a thing and I'm going to push through it. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. It's exactly what makes overcoming it like amazing. That's exactly what makes conquering a mountain awesome is that it's hard to climb in the first place. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like I'm not I'm not going to ever pretend I don't I don't avoid fear. I just I just live with it. Well, I, think I understand that it's is... a part of my life and I'm OK with everything that is whether it be my death or my mortality or whether it be losing everything I my worldly possessions. The truth is that as long as I have my consciousness, as long as I have my brain, I can still function. And don't get me wrong. Do you think I would? Do you think I'm happy to just? I'm, doesn't mean I'm fearless in the sense I'm not an idiot. I don't walk in front of a bus and hope that it's going to stop. You know what I mean? Like I'm not. 
that doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that you you because here's the thing. I'm, it's not that I'm fearful. It's that I'm more happy to not go to the hospital today. You know what I mean? It's, so I don't not walk in front of the bus because I'm afraid of it. It's just that I'm almost like it's almost to the point where I'm like I wouldn't want to deal with the headache. Like I'm like you know what I'm like I'm more afraid. You know what I'm more pissed off about? Getting into a car accident, not because of my own health. I'm actually more pissed off that I would have to sit on the side of the road and fill up insurance papers and have to speak to the insurance company for a few months after. Like that pisses me off more because it's the biggest waste of my time. I, I that's what I'm more fearful of. I'm more fearful of not doing what I love and doing something that I would hate or being stuck than anything else. So I guess it just makes doing what I love significantly easier. It's like my only option. I don't give myself 10 plan A, plan A, plan B, plan C, plan D. It's plan A and plan A only. People ask me that all the time. They're like, what's your plan B? To make plan A work. That's, that's what my plan B is. I don't quit. I don't stop. Like, and you could kill me and I'll still do it. I always say the number one thing that the, the, this, you know, the movements, the Valhalla movement things that can happen is they'd die. I'm like, it would, it would, it would immortalize the movement. It would, it would invigorate it immensely. Yeah. yeah. It sounds crazy to say, and I, I totally mean it though. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it, it, it's just a good story. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I just, I guess I have a passion for those stories. I have a passion for understanding how that motivates people. And, and, you know, there's, there's beautiful things in that. So yeah, I think I just, I befriended fear for sure. I'm okay with it. Yeah, and I get with you like that that uh, old quote that um, the pain of remaining the same is greater than the pain of chasing your dreams and doing what's difficult to uh, follow your purpose. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. For me, it's definitely that definitely holds true. So the one question that's always really valuable that a lot of people get a lot from is they ask all men about their dark side. All men have this dark side, but for some reason, society, we, you know, we don't like to talk about it. It's that uh, dark side around sexuality or, you know, cheating or just that masculine anger that bubbles up in unhealthy ways or addiction. Do you have a dark side? And if you Absolutely. do, how do you handle it? I, I celebrate it. I don't, I don't, I don't think I handle it so much as I let it have its time. And then I let my light side have its time. I think so many people are fighting and struggling against themselves consistently. When I want to be lazy, be lazy. I think, I think the danger is like, maybe Phil has told you this at some point in, in your work with him. The, the gray zone kills you, right? You either be black or you be white. So I'm phenomenally white sometimes and I'm phenomenally a lazy piece of shit some other times you know what I mean like and not to say that I, I like constantly dance between the two it's not to say that I'm like yeah I'm like the most dedicated boyfriend of all time and then I'm a total asshole and cheater no that's not at all what I'm saying never cheated I don't want to that's because it's not part of my identity and nor do I want it to be part of my story right I don't want to ever be characterized like I like I like you know people are worried oh the NSA is looking at what I'm boasting I'm like yeah cool why are you boasting it otherwise? What are you worried about? If you're, if you're so worried that other people would discover what the kind of stuff that you would do, then maybe you shouldn't do it in the first place. You know what I mean? Like that's the kind of life that I, that I lead. When, when you're led by legacy, everything you do is in light of that. So I'm lazy. I'm, I'm imperfect in, in more ways than I am perfect for sure. And I'm not perfect in any way. So in all ways, really. Right? Like I'm kind of good at certain things. And I will always feel like I'm not good at them, right? I make videos for a, li like for a living. I did it for a couple of years. I still think I suck. I tell stories. I still think I suck. I'm just okay with it. 
I just realized that every opportunity I have is a better opportunity for me to get better at storytelling. So my first podcast that I ever recorded with somebody else as a guest or as my own podcast was not nearly as good probably as this podcast. So every day I get better. I just fo- I don't focus on I don't focus on the I don't focus on the destination because that's not where happiness is found, right? Happiness is not a destination, it's a way of travel, and I don't focus on what's behind me. I just focus on the now, and I even have a now watch that I wear all the time. It doesn't tell me the time. It's the most accurate watch in the world. All it says is now. That's so cool. And it's and it's exactly, and I truly wear it because that's exactly all you and I have. I can I can think about it all the time, but if I get pissed off, and I do, like so there's some days I wake up and I'm supposed to do a whole bunch of stuff that I had scheduled and planned, which is an important element of being an entrepreneur or anybody in my opinion, and so many people overlook that. It is a skill that is so not taught. But uh, And if you guys go to superheroacademy.net, you can literally have a free class, 13 courses actually, uh, 13 classes on all of this stuff, by the way. It's totally free. You can go sign up. But point being, it, it's shameless plug. <laughs> but it, but it, I think I schedule and plan some things in my life, and then I completely like don't do it some days. And I can kick myself, and I can say I'm a piece of shit, and, and, and just fall off the wagon and stay there or I can just jump back on. I can catch myself and just be like, okay, what can I do? You know, one of the one of the key elements that I say to almost every client and every person that I come in contact with is control what you can control. You're in control of your emotions. As much as you're going to feel that emotion in certain moments and you can, sometimes it's nice to surrender to that emotion. Like if you're going to cry, just cry, right? But in other cases, you know, you could control your reaction to something by instead acting for something. Like I, I think I take a stoic philosophy when I when I think about the idea that I can control my reaction, I control my response, my attitude. You know, my father, the smartest thing I think he ever told me is attitude is everything. If your attitude is great, you are going to overcome everything. You're going to see the positive or the opportunity in every negative, because negative is constantly around us. There is not more positive than there is negative. There's just as many electrons as there is, you know. Uh, uh, photons what do you know what i mean like i just totally <laughs> fucked that one up but you know what i'm saying yeah there's just as much positive as negative right there just there just is and and so i'm not going to try and avoid the negative i'm just going to use it to my advantage it's like if i know i'm lazy and i know like after let's say i have a big meal i'm going to want to sit down and like take a nap then i plan it i play into that i say okay i'll sleep a little less at night and i'll plan a nap after after i eat i don't fight it I don't pretend like, you know what I mean? And it doesn't mean that you shouldn't, you shouldn't, you know, uh, push your limits. Of course you should. That's, that's exactly what I'm advocating. But, but there's certain things that you, you, you know, sometimes you're pushing your limits and you're just, you're trying to be somebody you're not. And you just have to know the difference between the two. And I don't know if I can, I can teach that, but I can definitely give you my anecdotal experience about that. Beautiful, Mark. And uh, you mentioned the Superhero Academy. What's the best way if people want to work with you or they just want to learn more about you or experience more of you or learn more about sustainability or the architecture uh, stuff you're involved with? What's the best way to kind of work with you and get involved with you now? As a storyteller, I think I'm all over every social media platform. So whether you're on Instagram or Facebook, uh, you can find me there, Mark Angelo Coppola, M-A-R-C space Angelo Coppola, if you visit superheroacademy.net, valhallamovement.com, buildyourwisdom.com, I mean, I, you'll find me. If you want to find me, I'm sure there's going to be links around here. Uh, I, I trust that that's the case. But yeah, I mean, you know, there, there's so many different ways. I answer every email and Facebook message that I get. Uh, it's a 
something I think I'm going to do forever. And even if I got thousands a day and I not too, too far from that, not <laughs> quite at thousands yet, but I'm getting, I'm getting hundreds of messages every day. Um, I still answer them and I think I'll always do something like that. My goal is to be as available and as, and as, you know, even if somebody needs to come in and quickly light a flame just to be able to carry it back to something that they need, if I can provide that opportunity, then I will. So there's many ways that you can be, uh, empowered if you want to learn more about the impossible list and writing it down it's on superheroacademy.net slash impossible dash list and uh and i think it's you know it's just one of the smartest things i ever did for sure that's so awesome and you just you've just motivated me so much i know everyone's going to get so much out of this your your ability to storytell is phenomenal and i think it's so inspiring and so motivating uh the way that you share what you're passionate about and you're definitely someone that's making a difference on this planet so thank you so much for being on the show today i totally appreciate it it's it's just as much an honor for me as it is for you guys beautiful thanks mate Well, there you have it, folks. Episode number three is over. An amazing conversation with Mark Coppola. Mind-blowing. I hope you got as much out of that as I got out of it when I was uh, interviewing Mark. He's such an inspiring and thought-provoking guy, and at the end of the day, he's just a a master storyteller that you can listen to for hours. You can catch more of Mark at superheroacademy.net. If you love this show, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, The Nathan Seawood Show. You saw us on Facebook, give it a like, share it with someone that you think might get something out of it, and I'll be back very soon with episode number four of the Nathan Seward Show. That was the Nathan Seward Show. Personal conversations with powerful men.